Welcome to the Faith for My Generation podcast, where our vision is to shake and shape a generation with the power of God's Word. We're on one mission, to raise up a generation of powerful believers through the relevant teaching of God's Word. I'm so thankful that you're here today. I'm your host, AJ. Let's get into the episode. This is part one of a two-part episode I did with Pastor Chris. I know you're going to love this interview. It was so fun, and he has so much wisdom and so much insight that he brings to us. We talk about family life, ministry. He shares some funny stories. I know you're really going to enjoy it. All right, here we go. Welcome, everyone, to the Faith for My Generation podcast. Again, this is your host, AJ. I'm so glad you're listening today. And it's my privilege to have on for another interview, uh, Pastor Chris Vaughn. How are you doing, Pastor Chris? Doing well, man. man. Very good, AJ. Um, well, I want to say thank you for taking time to join us here on the Faith for My Generation podcast. Uh, I appreciate your time, and um, we're excited to have this conversation. Um, if you would, just go ahead and tell us, you know, tell us about who you are. Of course, I know you, but let the Faith for My Generation family know who you are, what you're doing, and, and even give us some insight of how, how you got here and where you are today. Yeah, I've known you, I think, almost all your life. Probably, yeah. I remember, I am going to share this. Just yes. for, I remember watching you, and I thought this was beautiful. I still think this is beautiful. You would go up to the platform with your dad, with your guitar, three, four? Probably, yeah. I just loved it. I, I thought it was one of the most beautiful things to see a father and son, and uh and now to see you now and what you're doing and all that you're in, it just blesses me. So uh, anyway. Well, at that um, age, here's the thing. If it's three or four, that was my cowboy stage, mm, which means prior to yes. going on stage, I had to unholster my yes, cap. Yes, yes, yes. I was uh, yes. not allowed to carry my side on. Yes, you had the service. cowboy outfit on. Yeah. And I personally think you should have had the guns up there myself. I mean, I'd you know. Have, I'd have been, that, that was probably a mama thing. <laughs> And uh, but I, I just said, carry them up there. You know, this is the South. I mean, anyway. yeah, yeah, it, it goes right. Anyway, so uh, let me say uh, real quick background. I am uh, 56 this year. So I was born um, uh, 66. Um, so I'll be six, 56 years old this year. I got saved when I was four. Uh, I've had people tell me that that cannot happen, that you're too young. Uh, I've always used this as a joke, but this is very true that uh, it was the High Point Church of God, uh, Pastor N.C. Jones, uh, Nathaniel C. Jones was our pastor. He was our pastor too later um, in life, but he preached a message on hell. And at four, I didn't want to be at church. And I definitely didn't want to be in a church that was that hot. And if there was any place hotter than that, I didn't want to go there either. So uh, I know that's, I mean, I'm sincere. That was my thought process. Um so I actually went home that night and had my dad. He prayed with me uh, on the side of my bed mm. on my Mickey Mouse sheets. Um, and then to make sure it stuck. And I appreciated my dad. And uh, my dad's always my best friend. But I just wasn't sure if the prayer in the bedroom was going to seal the deal. Mm. <laughs> I'm sincere. So I made him Sunday, that next Sunday. I went down to the altar and prayed again uh publicly at four and so i uh, got saved at four i um think um i knew i'd be in ministry probably about, about the time i was 11 mm. 12 um it was always um and i don't want to use the word nagging but it was always a drawing it was yeah. always something there and i remember a conversation with my dad one time about speaking and preaching and stuff and i said something about and i can't say this i've never been afraid to take a stage mm. Uh, public speaking has never scared me. I mean, I, I get on edge. I mean, I want to do a good job. There's, uh, I don't even want to say nervousness. There's a tension. That's a good yeah, word. Right. But I've never been afraid of it. In fact, I've actually had several times where people say, we need you to feel 15 minutes. Go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm mm-hmm. like, no preparation, no, no notes, no Bible. Just keep, keep, keep it running for a little bit. Uh, never has bothered me. Right. And I made a comment to my dad about that. And he says, he goes, I don't want to do that. Hmm. And I got to be honest, it was kind of, um, sorry, my phones are going off. That was kind of um, shocking that he did, that everybody didn't want to do this. That Hmm. was a, that was a, that was a novel thought to me. I couldn't kind of wrap my head around that. Um, So anyway, um, I got real studious at 12. I know um, every, every morning before class and before school, I would listen to uh, somebody preach. Hmm. I would um, take notes, go to school, come home. If I hadn't finished that tape, this is the days of tapes, mm-hmm. I would finish my tape, finish my notes, and then I'd do my homework. 
Um, I did that up till I was probably 16, 17. Wow. Um, easy. And um, preached my first message when I was 16. Uh, was full time. So I've been preaching. It just hit me right before we started. I've been preaching now 40 years. Wow. My God. Oh, praise the Lord. My God. <laughs> Where did it go? And I've been full time since I'm 20. Wow. So, um, and there you go. Married, got three kids, um, one grandkid, and I uh, still love what I do. I mean, I, it's, uh, it's got highs and lows like everything, but um, I love what I do and I love what I'm called to do. And uh, yeah, I, I can't imagine doing anything else. And your pastor at Grace Summit Church. Yes, sir. In Stockbridge, Georgia, Metro at Southeast Atlanta. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. And y'all, if I'm not mistaken, I heard uh, just recently when I was listening to you coming up on 10 year anniversary. 10 years, February 13th. Yeah. And that's a, you know, and it's, you know, um, I heard a preacher say one time, and this is so trite. I mean, in my opinion, and, and I can't stand trite things. I just cannot stand them. I never have liked them. I'll be honest. I hated it. I didn't hate. I'd never liked the 23rd Psalm for years. Oh, because, and I, I mean, I loved it. It's beautiful. It's poetic. Uh, but you go to Stuckey's in Florida and they've got them <laughs> on little cedar planks. Right. They were always on calendars. It, it was, it was just almost so overused. Mm. And um, probably 14, 15, 16 years ago, I did a study on the 23rd Psalm. I was just led to, mm-hmm. and it was life transforming. I mean, that's one of the most powerful things, but, but triteness sometimes to me can just, it's filler. And I, and mm. I can always grate my nerves. And one yeah. of the trite things I used to hear preachers say is you just, <laughs> and I know, I knew it was true is you just need to pray and find out the will of God. I'm going to throw my phones away. Just turn them <laughs> off. Uh, I have two of them and they are wearing me out, but I'd hear preachers say stuff like, well, you know, you need to just pray and find out what the will of God is and just be obedient, mm. you know, and, and, and just settle in there. And I agree with that. I, I knew that. I got one. Well, I'm, I'm down to one phone to turn off. <laughs> okay. We're done. Sorry about that. Maybe you can You're edit good. that out, but I, I would, you know, and they would say, well, just pray and study, you know, just seek God mm-hmm. and then just do that. And I knew that was true, but um, I probably didn't do that well until I was in my late thirties, which is really sad. Uh, there, there, you know, and, and finally I'm at the point in life. I just want to be obedient. Mm-hmm. I just want to be where I'm supposed to be doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I don't really, and I mean this, I don't really care what everybody else does mm. in that sense. Uh, in, in a competition thing. I mean, I get ideas from it and I right. appreciate it and I'm excited for it. And I, and I, and I revel and I'm, and I mean this, I'm, I'm joyful when somebody else is successful. Right. But, um, but just that whole competition, you know, kind of that chasing the success thing. Yeah. You know, um, you've got to be obedient and you got to know that, you know, that what you're doing and where you are is where you're supposed to be. And when you get there, that's a whole different level of peace. Yes. And um, so, but it was supernatural. Our church birthed 10 years ago. Uh, I've been pastoring now 14 years, traveled evangelist for half of my ministry, full-time. Okay. And then somewhere along the way, got known for being funny. <laughs> and I became this Christian comedian guy. And I did that for seven, eight, nine years. Really? I would go in and uh, I actually would have some churches bring me in on a Sunday just to be funny. Mm-hmm. And I would give an altar call and it always irritated me. I'd have sometimes more people get saved in those services. <laughs> <laughs> when I'm in the area. I'm not and, uh, but God always used it. And so, you know, anyway. yeah. wow. Yeah. That's, um, that's interesting. We, uh, we were talking about that on the podcast from the podcast family. We'll, we'll remember this from a, from the previous interview, but it's so important to get a hold of why you're here, what your purpose and what your calling is. Um, in fact, if I'm not mistaken, in this series that you've been teaching on Sundays concerning Joseph, you, you made a statement. I may, may not get it exactly word for word, but it was something along the lines of your gifts are the keys to obtaining the dreams that God has put in your life, in your heart. In order for you to get those big audacious dreams that you have that you want to do. He's given you gifts, talents, skills, and abilities, and you need to work those things. And that's what's going to take you to that place of a dream. And and I think that's so important um, for Christians to understand that it does not matter. It's like the the Bible teaches us that the the body of Christ has many members. And we can't say, well, you know, it talks about hands or eyes or nose or feet. Uh, it, we shouldn't distinguish, well, this, this member is more important. You know, it's like, well, my pinky finger is not that important. 
hit it with a hammer and see how important it is, right? Well, who, whatever you are and whatever you're called to do as a Christian, find out by prayer, uh, prayer with fasting, seeking the Lord, getting insight on it, getting godly wisdom and counsel. I think about there's a precious man in our church and he's a spirit filled, full of faith businessman. I mean, he's just a, he is a mighty man of God and he is thriving in a business that now not only employs him, but many members in his family and other people, uh, a extremely profitable business. And it came out of a time of, I think this is what I need to do. And he set a time, I think it was three days to pray and fast and seek the wisdom of God and said, you know what, this is what I'm going to do. He had to work it. He had to work through it. He had to build it up, but he's at this place of this promised land. He's at this place of milk and honey. And I think that's so important. No person, no Christian, no child of God is meant to just meander through life and spin wheels. I mean, you've got to get a hold of that. And I think I agree with what you're saying. There's some things that are just so cliche. You're like, okay, I'm the same way. Like I'm a simple, plain guy. Like I don't need the frills, the bells and whistles. I don't care for the catchphrases. I want the real goods. And, and I think what's so easy about simple things, even though they're true, they can just be rehearsed. Yes, like, It really so. is like, if you get your prayer life right, you'll get the rest of your life right. If you can get that getting in the secret place of the Father, knowing his heart, yielding to his will, being conformed and transformed into his image, you, you, the rest of your life's going to fall in line. But it's so easy to say, well, I'm just going to pray about it. And, you know, there's some people, not to pick on people, but I know, I know a few people they all, whatever they always pray, whatever they want to do is what their prayer, they, you know, if they want to do something, they say, I'll pray about it. And it always agrees with what they wanted to do before they prayed yeah. about it, which maybe that happens sometimes, but there's been some times when I've went in the prayer closet and I came out and I said, I don't want to do this, but I, I got to do this. I've got to well, say like the old, the old joke my dad loved is the preacher gets a call from the you know overseer and he says, you're, you're going to, a, I want you to pray about going to this other church. It's got more members, more money, uh, more prestige, and you know, you will double your salary. And so he comes home and he tells his wife, he says, baby, that, you know, he tells her the plan and the overseer called it's a different church. And he says, I'm going to go upstairs and pray about what God would have us to do. I want you to go to Lowe's and buy some boxes. You know, so, you know, that, that's the way I was like, you know, I, say what you said about gifts. I, I, this is the only thing I think I've ever said original that is smart. Uh, and I mean, I think I've said a lot of things good, but this is the best. And this one guides me uh, unless you know who you are and what you believe until you do that, you will be um, criticizing or critical of others and you'll condemn yourself. Wow. Because you were constantly comparing yourself amongst other people and what you're called to do. And, and part of that was birthed out of the fact, again, so I started preaching when I'm 16. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't, I don't try to be funny. Mm -hmm. uh, some of it's just who I am. I really don't try to flub, mm -hmm. but I remember one service and I was praying. Of course I'm doing my, you know, I'm a young preacher doing my best Billy Graham, you know, and, um, I used to do a pretty good Billy Graham impersonation, but anyway, <laughs> but I would, I was, you know, and I'm trying, I'm at the end of the service trying to, you know, have an impact. And I was, had my hand out, you know, in a good preacher gesture. And I said, all right, now Christians, Christians, closing your heads, closing your heads right now, Christians, bowing our eyes, everybody in this congregation, bow your eyes right now. I didn't know I was even doing it. And uh, people start chuckling and stuff. And I got to be honest, it frustrated me. I was like, well, what's wrong with y'all? Why are y'all heathen Christians chuckling? <laughs> and I didn't realize it until afterwards. Um, but I, so I, I grew up Pentecostal. Mm -hmm. um, Mom and dad both were raised Church of God, Cleveland, Tennessee. Mm -hmm. uh, and we went to um, a lot of uh, charismatic, word of faith, you know, Pentecostal type churches in my sure. life. Um, I say a lot, several. Mm -hmm. And then my mom and dad divorced when I was 10. Mm -hmm. uh, we, we started going to a Church of God, and then later went, started going to a four square church, mm -hmm. which is. Uh, you know, Pentecostal denomination. Most people in the Southeast don't know about it, but anyway. Mm -hmm. um, and I grew up around great preachers. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, and I mean, good preachers. I mean, uh, and I, I don't mean this to be condemned, but great pulpiteers, mm -hmm. very adapt at, you know, uh, selling the message, Yeah, you know, the dramatic gestures, you know, I mean, really doing it right, doing it well, but mm -hmm. very serious. And I wasn't that. And I got criticized so much in my early ministry. I was constantly comparing myself to, and I remember pastoring the first time I pastored, uh, we would be driving home from church, me and my wife, Lisa, 
And I'd say, was I, was I like T.D. Jakes today? <laughs> Did that sound like Rod Parsley? Uh, was I like T.L. Osborne? Well, was that like T.L. Lowry? I mean, I was constantly, you know, she would say, why don't you just shut up and be yourself? Hush. <laughs> and it took, you know, it took me a little bit to die to that, you know, mm. and, uh, uh, I think I got great content because mm. I steal it from everybody else. You know, I mean, I, mean, I know I got great content, but <laughs> I'm joking, and um, like everybody else does. But um, you know, you got to figure out what your gift is mm. and and who you are. And and I think one of the bad things I grew up in, but I think we've shifted the other way. When I grew up, if you weren't going into ministry, it's kind of like if you went in the ministry, you're here, and if you decided to be in business, you're here. Mm. Ministry yeah. missions is everything. Right. I never thought that was right. Right. And the reason I didn't was because my dad, mm. my dad one-on-one was a ninja warrior who could manipulate that conversation and take you to where he wanted to. Sure. I'm on a pulpit, put him in a public thing. My dad couldn't speak out of a bag. Mm. I mean, it was it's painful. It was painful for me to hear mm. and he was doing his best, but that wasn't his gift. Sure. In one-on-one in a small group, my dad was a, <laughs> He was deadly, mm. but so I would look at the way I grew up and it's kind of like, because he wasn't this ministry, mm. he was lesser and that's not right. You know, right. It's like you said earlier, you know, it, they're, they're all, we have, we have to have all the parts mm-hmm. and you shouldn't elevate or decrease one. You, you need to, you know, uh, the old phrase is a rising tide, you know, rises all boats. You need to lift everybody. Right. Uh, and that's one thing I think is great because we've come, I think more full circle, but it seems to me sometimes in the circles I run in, there's not as much um, calling out for people to go into ministry mm. or if that makes sense. I, and I wondered if we've gone too far the other way, mm. there's, there's not enough, you know, uh, for how shall they hear? Right. There has to be a preacher, not mm-hmm. saying that everybody has to be in full-time ministry. Yeah. But there has to be, you know, that, that, that voice. And so, so I, sometimes I don't know if we lessened it too much or the balance is off again. Right. Yeah. Because that's the thing. Um, I believe that whatever God gift, gifts you and talents you with and gives you some desires that you like to do. Again, it's not it's not the Lord doing the work for you. You have to take that gift. It's kind of like diamonds that are in these mountains. You dig them out and you've even got to get some of the sediment off and you cut it and you shape it and form it. And it becomes this extremely expensive prized possession. And that's that's how I believe gifts and talents and skills work. Uh, you, you find those things, you get a direction on it, and then you just give it all that you've got. And that will put you in places of influence for the kingdom. Because at the end of the day, every Christian's main goal, well, the spiritual goal, right? The, the end life goal is to heaven. <laughs> but while we're on earth, it's to build the kingdom. Yeah. It's to build the kingdom of heaven on earth. And you think about it. I, honestly, I believe if you like you're saying, I, I, I've been around that as well. And I understand the hearts of people, but if you elevate the idea of that ministries up here and then everything else is lesser, well, then people in the church that are godly, spirit-filled, faith-filled people that love God, they may feel like, well, I, you know, I feel a calling to politics, but that's not very holy. But yeah. my goodness, how blessed would there, our, our nation be if we had more I say more. I'm almost going to say if we had any, <laughs> but if we had more good, godly, spirit-filled Christian people that were mayors, county councilmen, governors, presidents, senators, congressmen, but if that's not seen as a a calling, which it can be, you think about Daniel. Daniel was a mighty man of God. He he received end time visions of what was going to happen for Israel. And then the end of the world, he got to see in the throne room of heaven, but he wasn't a priest or a Levite or a prophet in, in as such in that office. He was a, he, he was a statesman for two different kingdoms, three Kings, but he was a government official. Yeah. And, and you, you said Nehemiah, Ezra, yeah, you see so. these people, they build walls, they build temples. You, you see in the book of Exodus, I think I always think about this with gifts and callings that the Holy spirit anointed men to work with bronze and wood and silver to make the tabernacle. So they got anointing to build something. You you just see that all through the Bible. Uh, And I think that's so important. No matter, you know, no matter who you are, you've got to lock in on that vision. You've got to understand it. And, and here's the thing about with dreams too. I think when, when you were making that statement, which I'm going to have to disagree. I think there's a lot of great things you've said, but when you made that really good statement, if you don't know who you are and what you're called to do, you're always competing. 
And, and, and you, you've been talking uh, or teaching on Joseph. Um, wherever Joseph goes, the gift brings him to the highest place. And I've, I've, you know, I've made a little funny statement when I've mentioned Joseph before talking, teaching on or whatever. And I would always say, you know, if you're going to be sold in slavery, become the head slave. If you're going to be in prison, be the head prisoner. That's right. <laughs> Wherever you're at, let that gift that God's given you bring you up to the top. Because if you're not certain of what you have, then when the pressure hits and outward opposition comes, you'll just give up on it. Yeah. I mean, tell, yeah. me what, tell me what you think about that, especially like we see that in the life of Joseph. I mean, I like say, you, 20, you know, you 30 sent, years. You, you sent me a couple of questions and stuff. And, and one of the things that you put in there, uh, what does it take to pastor people? Oh, okay. And, yes, and I yeah, thought yeah. about it more in like in the times of ministry. Mm-hmm. And um, so I'm 56 this year, mm-hmm. two months. I am, I am probably only one of, of all the people I ran with in my 20s. Mm-hmm. 30 years ago, I'm probably only one of four or five left. Wow. You know, most of them, you know, you know, they tapped out. Right. And, uh, it, to me, it just takes commitment. In fact, I heard, um, I, I know you'll know who this is because of your dad, but uh, Lester Summerall. Yes. And who's been gone so many years now, most people your age, oh gosh, 15 years older than you, 20 years, sometimes don't even know who he was. Great man of God. Great. But I heard him say one time, he said, uh, somebody looked at him and, you know, they were, well, I guess it's always been easy for you, you know, and he said, easy. He goes, my Lord, I've had to fight for everything. He said, yeah, we have yeah. to fight for every dollar we've ever gotten and every radio station and TV station and shortwave station and that ship they bought and mm-hmm. plane. Them. He said, we've had to fight. You know, it takes, you know, I, I guess that's the, you just don't quit and it takes commitment. Um, and sometimes, you know, you find out like now, like I'll use this. And this is my own uh, to my own shame. Really, I remember when podcasting started. Mm-hmm. This has got to be maybe seventeen years ago. Okay, yeah. I I actually bought the name PodChurch.com. Hmm. I had a pod. I I couldn't even tell. I couldn't even get anybody to listen to it at first because nobody knew what a podcast was. Right. I would have to sit there and talk about what an aggregator was, and you get this song. There was no podcast app on Apple. Mm-hmm. There were no independent podcast Apple. Um, um, software programs anywhere. Wow. You actually had to use a program called Juice or some version of that. It would download it, then you would copy it to your MP3 player. I mean, it was a it was a hassle. Or you could listen to it on your computer. Right. And I'm telling people, man, I had people in in the UK listening to PodChurch.com. Wow. And um, I mean, it started getting some traction. I even had some people send me money. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I wasn't, you know. And then Apple came out. Um, and they were going to sue everybody who had adapted the term pod in any web name. Oh, wow. Because they said it was a trademark infringement, mm-hmm. which now it's become, it can't. I mean, that's, it's more, you know, everything's a Kleenex. Everything's right. a Kleenex. We Google um, everything, whether Google. whether it's Bing or whatever. Yeah. Know. And so, but it, I'm telling you, the, I, I, got, I got scared of it. I really did. Wow. And so I dropped it and let it go. And I've, you know, and I think about, you know, all the people, that got in early mm. and I felt led to do it. You know, I, I mean, I, I, and I didn't feel like I was disobedient by not. It was just more of a, I don't know, just a byproduct to what I was still doing, preaching, mm-hmm. you know, and traveling. But um, you, it takes commitment. And that's like, somebody asked me one day, they said, what do you think it takes to make a podcast successful? I said, you got to do one every week. Mm. I said, it just, you know, I, I said, I said, you know, like being a pastor, you show up every Sunday, you yeah. know, whether you feel like it, whether you don't, <laughs> and uh, and I know I know you've been in ministry enough to know, and your dad, um, and I love your dad, uh, and I love his perspective. But um, you know, there's many times you do not want to or feel like doing certain things, sure. But because you're called to do it, and you know that's your gift, you do it, right? And you don't do it for yourself; you do it to serve others, and you do it to be obedient. But mm-hmm. it just takes that, you know diligence. And, and I look at like Joseph and Joseph is one of my favorite people in the Bible. Mm-hmm. I mean, Joseph went through crap. Maybe I shouldn't <laughs> say crap, but he went through crap from 13. I mean, uh, from 17 to 30, 15, 16, 17, 18, however you want to debate it. Right. Up to 30, 31, 32 or something. I mean, he right. went through hard. And then, and then the part that I think is the worst is not his brothers treating him poorly, mm. which is horrible. I think it's the guy in the prison who got out who forgot him. Yes. Yes. I mean, you would think that guy would be so thankful. Right. And just two years. 
he, he languishes two more years. And, uh, but, but you look at Joseph, you know, he was, he still excelled. Mm-hmm. Keeper of the prison, you know, and I, I always look, you know, and but the first time he's there before the king, it's like he didn't go. Listen, I can help you, but the guy in the back over there, <laughs> I'm not telling you anything until he's dead. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I, I yeah. be honest, I'd have been tempted. You know, he needs yeah. to be punished, and you know that guy. And my opinion is Joseph must have treated him graciously. Yeah. Because he treated his brothers graciously. He was, sure. he was a loving man and a gracious man. And he knew that God's plan and hand on his life was greater than those circumstances, which I think is another thing we all get caught up in. You know, um, uh, circumstances are circumstances. Everything changes. But the word of God doesn't. And what you're called to doesn't. And uh, you just have to, you know, fight that through. And, uh, so- it makes me think of what Jesus said, what the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence and the yeah. violent take it by force. And really, when you look at, we're talking about Joseph right now in that example, when you look at the span of his life, and he did go through so many terrible, I would never want to go through that, that he went through. But when you get right down to it over the scope of his life, 13, 14, 15 years, and he's now second man in the richest, most powerful nation of the world. So really, when you get a hold of that gift and you fight that thing through, it may be a long haul, or at least it feels like at the moment. But the payoff puts you at a place where what's the alternative? Spending yeah. your entire life thinking, what if, should I have? Yeah. Regret? I'd, I'd rather I'd rather fight real hard for a decade and get on the other side of it and say, because of the grace of God and what he's co- you know commanded me to do and I obeyed it and he empowered me to obey, I'm now flourishing. And it's not that the that you you quit fighting, you keep going, you keep leveling up. That's something I I tell our church family all the time, Proverbs 4, that the the life the biography of the believer is that each day it gets better and better and brighter better that just like the shining sun at the noonday just gets brighter and brighter and brighter the path of the just just keeps getting brighter but it doesn't mean that you don't have to fight through that i think sometimes i know you'll know this as well and a lot, a lot of the faith from my generation family will know know this name as well but kenneth hagan i remember he would always make this statement some people believe you know in his his uh, Midwestern voice, he would say, some people think this a life of faith is just floating down uh, flowery beds of rivers of ease or something like that. Or, or, you know, the promises of God following you like ripe fruit falling off a fruit tree. But you know, I, I, there was actually, a, it's called the Spirit Within and the Spirit Upon series where he's teaching about the, the Holy Spirit in that first volume. He, he makes this point. He goes on like a 20 minute um, just rabbit path, which I love when when ministers do that, or just different people, and they they have what they're speaking about, but then they just like, you know what, we're going to go down this path. And sometimes the rabbit path has the revelation you need. That's right. And he says, you know, talking about the same thing, like Brother Sumrall was saying, you know, some people think I had it easy. Let me tell you what I've went through. And then he goes through these stories that he endured in the early times of ministry. But it's no, we're, we're using the example of ministry, but it's no different regardless, regardless of the call. There's going to be opposition to it. Because if it's really something that God's birthed in you and given to you, Satan does not want that to flourish in in the earth. Because it kind of goes back to that Abrahamic blessing. I'll bless you and make you a blessing to the nations. Well, how how is God going to bless the nations? He's going to do it through you. Anything that God wants to do in the earth, he has to do it through the church, which means he has to do it through you, me, and anyone listening. And... um, I think that's so important to keep that perspective in mind because when you keep that focus and you keep that laser-like focus, then the opposition that does come, it doesn't deter you. You just fight through it. Well, you know, uh, it's funny too, though, like talking that way, and I've met people. So um, this is one of my favorite stories when I travel. I met, um, you know, had preached a service. Uh, back then we always had a tape. Then it was a CD table, product table. So I had, you know, whatever, mm-hmm. pamphlets. or, And this guy walks up to me and he goes, um, I want to do what you're doing. I said, what do you mean? And I just, I, I, you know, I was kind of lost. And he goes, uh, he goes, I want to be an evangelist. And I said, well, praise God. That's great, brother. I said, uh, I said, what do you do here at this church? He goes, oh, I don't go here. This is my home church. I said, okay. I said, what do you do at your home church? Um, I said, he goes, well, I, I'm just waiting on the Lord. I'm just waiting on the Lord. I said, so you're not an usher? And he goes, no. I said, so you don't ush. I said, you don't greet. 
I said, do you help park cars? I said, you know, I can't, I went through this list. I said, do you clean the bathrooms? Do you work with the youth? Do you help with children's? Do you paint? Do you do maintenance? Do you serve your pastor sound? You know, back then nobody had video. Mm-hmm. I said, you know what? And he kept saying, I said, brother, I said, let me just be honest. He goes, yeah. I said, I said, God is never going to use you. Mm-hmm. And he got real. He looked at me. I said, you need to get busy doing something. Mm-hmm. I said, if you'll get busy doing something, God can help you find that perfectness. And that, I think that's sometimes the other side. Yeah, I've yeah. met people and they don't want to do anything because that might not be. But, you know, Paul said in Romans 12 that you can prove what is the good, mm. the acceptable and the perfect. You got to prove what's good before you can get to what's perfect. Mm. You know, you've got to work through the process and you can't you can't steer a sailboat or a car that's not moving. Mm. Either yeah. one that's in the wrong direction has to move somewhat in the wrong direction for it to get turned around in life. And I, I remember uh, Jerry Savelle saying one time, and um, it helped me because I can be, I want everything right. I mean, uh, sure. I, I mean, I did good in school. And I got to be honest, <laughs> I loved high school. I had more fun in high school. I uh, carried, um, carried my Bible every day to school. I had some Kenneth Hagen, Kenneth Copeland, T.L. Osborne, T.L. Uh, you know, uh, Lauer. I had some book in there. Uh-huh. I had all my stuff. I got all A's. And my grades were good enough. I never took an exam. Wow. Um, I cut school one year to go to a Kenneth Copeland conference. Um, <laughs> that was for a religious exercise. Right, and they, right. gave, they gave it to me. They gave it off to me. I had a great time. I could pass a test, mm-hmm. you know, and, uh, but if I couldn't, and I, and I, I had to watch this, if I couldn't get a hundred, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm great. Especially <laughs> if it was something I felt like I really cared about. Now, if it's something I didn't care about, 95 was okay. Sure. But 93 wasn't. I only say 92, 92 was a B. Mm. I wanted the A. Yeah. And sometimes I, I can, I have, I was that way so bad. I wouldn't do anything because mm-hmm. I don't want to mess up. Right. I, you know, I don't want to take a bad turn, mm-hmm. but I heard Jerry Savelle say that he goes, you can't turn a car. Oh, actually, he didn't say that. Another pastor, John Johnson in Ohio said that, but we were talking about that, but he he said, he says, if I'm in the midst of a decision, I'm going to do something. He says, I know that the Holy spirit can direct me and get me back on track. He says, now I'm not making crazy things. I'm spending time in prayer. Mm-hmm. I'm giving up diligence. He says, but if I have to make a decision, I'll make a decision. And I was telling that to another pastor friend and that's where I got the car. He said, mm-hmm. well, he goes, you can't, you know, you can't turn a car around that doesn't move. Mm-hmm. He says, You've got to make some movement. And mm-hmm. I don't think that's sometimes the other thing. Some people are just waiting, you know, unless, unless it's perfect. Not, you know, that's like um, every song worth singing is worth, really singing bad a little bit. Mm, mm-hmm. Anything worth writing is worth writing bad. Mm. You know, you edit it, you get better at it. I used to think everybody was just gifted and boom, <laughs> they had talent. I'm not kidding. I, I right. had, a guy, had a guy tell me, I still remember this, South Carolina. I was one of my dad's friends um, and he was talking about music and he was his whole family, dad, mom, brothers, sisters, everybody could play, everybody could sing. Mm-hmm. Now, they grew up in the forties. Nobody had TV, mm-hmm. internet, cell phones, power, <laughs> so what did you do at night? You sat around and you played banjos and guitars because there was nothing else to do. So sure. you, know, you think of, I, di- I didn't think, but he goes, but it's son, it's in my blood. Mm. It's just the gift of God. Well, as a kid, I thought, well, he's like walking down the street, bam, this talent hits him and he just knows. Right. And I got to be honest, that's so undermined my appreciation for certain things Hmm. Um, you know music takes talent Mm -hmm. but it takes work and it takes that effort and diligence you know preaching everything does Mm -hmm. but i think many times you know people come along like even podcasting Mm -hmm. you know uh, i I look back on some of those early podcasts i did and i'll go through phases where i'll fire one back up and again it gets into diligence my life will get busy and I want me a virtual assistant to send it to and say, I am, I'm, I'm at the point. I just want to hire somebody, you know, fix this up and bump it up there. And, um, but it just takes, you know, that diligence, that commitment. Right. And then sometimes, you know, it takes, you know, it's the fine tuning, um, mm-hmm. you know, just, you know, but, uh, but that's the part of to me, the being in the will of God, mm-hmm. you know, uh, which I tell people, you're always in the will of God. You know, the moment you repent and turn towards him, you're immediately in the will of God. Mm -hmm. And if you're not in that perfect, uh, uh, God can get you there. Sure. Just sitting there and not doing anything. Uh, One friend of mine always says this, and I love this phrase. You got to give God something to work with. Yes. You know, you got to give him something. I mean, just do not. He can't. He doesn't do it all. Right. Jesus did say, I am finished. (laughs) I'm done. I'm going to sit down. I'm going to intercede. I'm going to uh, advocate. Right. I'm sending the Holy Spirit. 
but I'm done. Yeah. And I think sometimes we forget that we, we want God to do it all. And we forget that, you know, I always think it's funny, like you'll be at church and somebody will get up and sing and just kill it. Mm-hmm. Just flat kill the song. I mean, it's the notes and the, it's just somebody walks up to them. AJ, that was a great song. Mm-hmm. And now you wouldn't do this. And I, you know, if I don't look say, you know, Susie, that was a great song. Oh, it was just the Lord. <laughs> No, it ain't. Because when it's just the Lord and me, it don't sound that one. That, that that's one of those cliche sayings that I cannot stand. It's like, I can't either. Just say thank you. It's not like God's not going to strike you with lightning if you just say thanks. I appreciate. Or, or I appreciate you know. Or, yeah, or God yeah. has blessed me. You know, yeah. I appreciate that. You know, God's helped me or something. But well, brother, oh, it was just the Lord moving in. It's just the Lord. You know, but which implies God. Loves just a, I'm just this humble vessel that the Lord moves upon. To me, that comes across like God loves me. <laughs> More than he loved you. <laughs> he gave me this, not you. You know. Anyway, I just that, that works me out. You know what? That's such a that is such a a powerful thought that I, my dad always called it the law of progression, and, and and I don't know if necessarily he came up with it himself. Is you know, we all he told me this as well. He said everything that's you know it's kind of like what you're saying. Any, everyone gets something from somewhere, right? No one had a. It's not that not no one has a genuine thought, but it's good to build on all these thoughts. But he said that, you know, in life, there's a law of progression, right? The Bible talks about it. What is it? First, the the blade, then the ear, then the full corn of ear. And that's how the life works. And that, that's how gifts and callings work. You're not just going to wake up one day, like you're saying, and the the Holy Spirit just goes, oh, wow, I'm now become an overnight success. Yeah. Really overnight successes are about 16, 20, 34 years of yes. just diligent work. And then finally people like, oh, we notice you now. But it's because day in and day out, I've built this. I've strengthened this gift. I've so you the, know honored what God's well, given me. The, the bad thing part, though, is now. So this goes back to another Lester Summerall. Mm. And I'd encourage anybody, if you've never heard of Lester Summerall, research him in yes. uh, S-U-M-R-A-L-L. But he, I heard him preach one time and he was talking... And uh, so he started preaching. Uh, and so if most people don't know this, but like in the 30s. Mm-hmm. And uh, he knew Smith Wigglesworth. And uh, I cannot think of the guy he uh, traveled through China with. Howard uh, Carter. Howard Carter, who is considered one of the preeminent still scholars of the works of the Holy Spirit. Yes. And, and um, great writings. But he made a comment about, you know, so this is, he probably said this in the late 80s. Mm-hmm. Uh, which makes me feel so old to say that now. I feel like all those preachers I used to hear, they say back in the 50s, that was 30 years ago. Well, now I'm saying back in, that was 35. Okay. But he said, you know, he said, there's a lot of people who want to be a racehorse. Mm. They want to look good and they want to you know, finish fast. Everybody applaud. And that is a racehorse. Mm-hmm. And I think of movies that I've watched, you know, like Secretariat. Right. You know, Secretariat is, you know, great story, but he says, but not me. And, and, and I, and I've got to be honest, I adopted this. He says, I want to be an old mule. He says, I want to be a plotter. He says, I might not be good to look at. He says, but I can work all day and I can work all my life. Wow. You know, a racehorse usually has two or three good years. Yeah. Then they're done. And they're put out the pasture. Put out the pasture. Yeah. And yet, and I've watched ministries all my life. Mm-hmm. And the guys who hit it quick and hard and early usually flame out. Wow. You know, they're, they're a shooting star, not a comet. You know, a comet's always there. Comes mm-hmm. back every, you know, you know, it's, it's got a faithful tra- trajectory. Right. The shooting star just, you know, comes and it, you know, it's beautiful, it's flashy, but it burns up. And and I think that's sometimes the loss in my generation. Uh, and I I don't know how Julia are right offhand. Um, how old 31. Are you? 31. 31. So you're my daughters, but in in her generation, I think sometimes you know we forget that you know because we watch the infomercial YouTube. Mm. You know, this is how I made you know, a million dollars in six months. But what they didn't tell you is that they've been doing this for 12 years, you know, perfect. But I actually had some tapes by a guy and um, I listened to those tapes. This was on about a professional speaking thing. And uh-huh. I probably listened to him 10, 15 times. He told me he's a, and he's a national figure. He probably makes, um, oh gosh, close to, I know he makes five figures for a speech. Wow. I mean, so I mean, he, he's a major. So we got to know each other on email some. And, and uh, finally, I hit him up on email and I said, um, and he was talking about how he was at a point in bank. Anyway, he turned, you know, but I asked him, I said, you used to do a lot of sales and teaching sales before you did this. He goes, oh, yeah. And then all of a sudden it made sense. It's not like he started from this day. Right. It was this great success in six months. No, he had, you know, somebody asked me one time when I did, I, I did a banquet somewhere. And, um, 
and it's 45, you know, it's an hour. Mm-hmm. And my job is to make everybody laugh for an hour. And, um, and that's pressure, you know, preaching and content. If nobody laughs or amens, you know, you just keep right on going. Right. But if it's supposed to be funny and you do the punchline and nobody laughs, you got to hurry up and do something else. I mean, that's what they're there for. Right. And somebody made a comment and they said, well, boy, that, they said, that wasn't, that wasn't real hard. Was it? Uh, after I was done, they said, that seemed like a lot. That was real easy for you. I said, brother, I said, you do know what's taken me 20 years to get to where I can do a good hour. Wow. And he looked at me and I said, I said, it, you know, I said, you can ask any entertainer, any speaker, any preacher. I had a, I had a minister say one time, he said, um, this was in the church of God. He said, you only need 13 red hots to become a big guy. Hmm. I said, what do you mean? He says, you got to have 13 good messages. Hmm. And it's back then, but the way revivals and different stuff work. Right. And, um, I said, well, I said, <laughs> you know, it just blew my mind. But his point was, you've got to work at it mm-hmm. to get diligent and effective and, you know, put the time in. And I, I, I sometimes think that's the other side with gifts people forget. Mm-hmm. You, you do have a gift, no question. <laughs> but you still need to hone it. You need to work at it. You need to be mm-hmm. diligent, whether it's, you know, being an electrician or being a preacher. Um, I've had people ask me sometimes, you know, how often do I preach? Mm-hmm. Probably every day. Right. The only person who hears most of it's me. <laughs> yeah. and I mean, I'm sincere. <laughs> right. But, uh, you know, I, I, in fact, I joke about this. I was not afraid to preach my first sermon. My first sermon, I was supposed to preach on a Sunday night. Mm-hmm. in a youth service at the church. Okay. Belmont Foursquare Church. And the senior pastor was afraid. And I look back, I was, I was so aggravated. He was afraid I would get up there and get, you know, stage fright. So Clam I out. preached a youth service. And I look back, you know, as a senior pastor now, <laughs> that was a wise call. Um, but I, you know, I didn't like, but I had preached to myself so much from 12 to 16 and I mean, I'm sincere in this. I, there were several times, um, there's many times I would just get my Bible. I still remember uh, my dad had a gigantic stereo, you know, it was a piece of furniture back then, mm-hmm. you know, that you put the records in turntable radio and I would use it as my pulpit. I'm 14, 15. And I would take me a scripture and I would preach the message. Mm-hmm. And in my head, you know, I've got hundreds, if not thousands of people, you know, and, and that's right. the part about the dream. In fact, I, I say this, my dream as a kid, and you'll know where I'm talking about, um, Evangel Cathedral, mm-hmm. which is yep. now um, Jensen Franklin's uh, satellite. Right. But I would drive by that building when I was 14, 15, 16, uh, going to my grandmother's house in 96. Mm-hmm. And I would look at it and I'd go, one day I will preach there. Wow. One day. And what's amazing was it was comedy that got me there. Mm-hmm. And I did a service there and, uh, and we probably had 50 people get born again, rededicate their life. Praise I had a Lord. great service, but I mean, but all I was, was, you know, telling crazy stories and having fun and, uh, kind of felt guilty, you know, else. but, uh, but that dream did come true. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was that gift that, and it's funny. It was that gift that got that dream. Mm-hmm. Not me trying to be TL Lowry or, right. or, you know, but finding that anyway. Right. So, you, you spent about you've spent about half of your time in ministry in evangelism. Mm-hmm. And so kind of give me a comparison on that. But I, I know the most of us probably know the difference between the two. But is it two different worlds? I mean, you got any good evangelistic road stories? I mean, I got a lot of evangelistic road stories. <laughs> you know, in fact, going back to Kenneth Hagin, Kenneth Hagin said this. And I always I think this is so wise that uh, and in today's world, mm-hmm. There's not as many evangelists, many revivals. You know, yeah. back when I was growing up, you had Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Right. Uh, you would have at least one re- revival Sunday through Wednesday, mm. if not every month, every six weeks, at least every other month. Right. But it would usually average about every six weeks. Uh, so you think about that as a pastor uh, on just Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday, you had 150 services a year. Wow. Then you add that. So there was, you know, there was a lot of opportunity. Nowadays, you know, most people are Sunday morning, uh, Wednesday nights. Um, we're totally online on our Wednesday nights. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you don't have the opportunity. And at the same time, you're trying to, you know, give vision, give teaching, give instruction, you know, and so um, most people's attention spans, my opinion, at least 20 minutes less than it was yeah. 30 years ago. You know, you used to could preach an hour, hour and a half and um, people complained about it, but there were times when nobody complained about it. We hated it when it was over. I mean, it was just right. the atmosphere of God was so present. Um 
So, so, but Kenneth Higgins said that every pastor should be an evangelist for two mm. years and every evangelist should pastor for two years so that you'll know what the other one goes through. Mm. I think it's one of the most profoundly wise things I've yeah. ever heard because uh, even, even though we don't have evangelists, we still have guest speakers. Mm-hmm. I mean, most churches, they'll have a guest musician mm-hmm. or guest worship team or, you know, something. Um, and I, um, your dad, I mean, always, always treats speakers great. I've, I've been a speaker. Uh, gospel tabernacle uh but that's not the case i mean i have you know i have been um i stayed in a hotel one time down 15 minutes down the road there's a brand new hampton inn <laughs> much more money i'm staying in a, in a hotel the honest to god you could see through the towels it was oh, it was horrible and i should not admit this but i will i slept with a gun in my blue jeans with socks on in case it went bad <laughs> I'm not just being honest. I was like, you know, uh, it was, uh, I, in fact, I actually drove home the next night after <laughs> service, had to drive seven hours home. Oh, wow. Pastor's like, you, you don't want to spend the night? I was like, no, <laughs> I, I just looked at him, I said, I need to get home. I, I actually called my wife and said, tell me I need to come home. She did. I looked at him, I said, my wife told me I need to get home. I said, I gotta go home. I wasn't going to lie. And I guess maybe I wanted to. Anyway, I, I don't think I did. But, um, you know, it's, it's different in, in some ways, you know, uh, I've had pastors before look at me and they're like, well, it's so much easier being an evangelist. You don't mm-hmm. have to put up with people every day. Hmm. And there's some truth to that. But then I looked at one, I ticked him off. I probably never preached for him again. <laughs> I said, well, I said, no, I get to deal with pastors every day. <laughs> and I said, that's even worse. And he said, excuse me. I said, you don't answer your phone. Hmm. I said, you don't return my calls. I said, not him. I said, but pastors don't. I actually had one pastor I, I had been trying to get in touch with, I don't know how many times. And we, we knew each other. Still, I still know each other. And so I've never preached for him. But, you know, I was just calling to, and finally I called and the, his secretary said, um, I, I just, I had a quirky mind that day. She goes, well, can I leave him a message? I said, nah, don't do that. I said, because I think the last five messages he hasn't returned either. So I don't care for my feelings to be hurt. <laughs> <laughs> just don't even tell him. And I was serious. Yeah. He called me in 10 minutes. Mm. And, uh, you know, and it was funny to me. So, you know, that's like on anything. And I heard a minister say this one time, and I've quoted this all my life. There's only one thing on this earth that has no negative. It has no downside. That's Jesus. Mm-hmm. Jesus has no negative. He has nothing but life and love and joy and peace. Mm-hmm. He brings, you know, it, Anything else in life has a positive and a negative. If you want a fast car, that's great, but you're not getting good gas mileage. You want a great right. gas mileage, you're not going to go fast. Mm. Um, everything, you know, and I, I think the, the problem sometimes in ministry is we look at the other guy. And um, I, I met a guy, and he was a worship leader at a church, kind of did a little insurrection and left and pulled a bunch of people. And, mm. uh, and they eventually kind of got healed, the two churches. And, uh, this wasn't my church, but it was two churches I knew. Well, I met him years later. And he was worshiping uh, at another church. He went back to being worship pastor. Hmm. <clears throat> Somebody asked him something about pastoring and there. He says, I am never doing that again. He says, I found out that's not my calling. Hmm. That's not my gift. I'm not doing that. And it was funny to me, but he had always looked at the senior pastor, you know, and um, one day I had a, this is a number of years ago, was in a different building and somebody made a comment and my worship leader was there and we were talking about something and, Somehow I just got rambling about all the stuff I had to do that week mm-hmm. uh, and all the money I had to figure out that week. Right. And he said something. I said, well, I said, I got about $4,000 in payroll this week. And I said, we've got a $10,000 building payment. And I started just rattling off all this junk. He goes, I used to want to do what you do <laughs> because it looks like, you know, he's, I will never want to do what you do. And he never has, he's never tried. He didn't, you know, which again goes back to knowing who you are and what you call to. And right. I think that's probably one of the biggest things between like the evangelism, the, the, the evangelist is always, it, it always had a, uh, a, there was always a sense of joy and excitement. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I, I, I never wanted to be the evangelist that, you know, just pardon me for saying, that, you know, beat the hell out of everybody. <laughs> you got a good response, but then you leave and everybody's all beat up. Right. Yeah. You know, and I, I've been in some services where 
when it's over, you're just worn out. And you're like, that was great, but thank God it was done. And, it was, you, you blow know, in, you blow up, and you blow, blow, blow out. out. That's exactly. And so I always, I always even then had, I guess, kind of a pastoral heart. And I had a pastor tell me that, uh, Seneca, South Carolina, actually, he told me, he says, Chris may serve us raw meat. He says, but uh, he heals us up before it's over. And I, <laughs> I appreciated that. Um, so to me, you know, there's different dynamics to it. You know, pastoring sometimes uh, can be a little bit more, um, I don't know. there's more moving parts. I'll put it that way. You know, you're dealing with people and departments and recruiting and, you know, you don't do that as much, you know, as an evangelist, but, you know, as an evangelist, you're always scheduling, you know, um, having to keep your heart right. Mm. Um, and sometimes you do, you get, you know, you get taken advantage of. I've had that, I had that happen so many times and you just have to keep your heart right and, you know, know that God keeps good books and God can mm. get it back to you. And uh, I know I preached one time for a pastor and it's so funny. I drove, I think, eight hours. He left the country to go on a missions trip. He wasn't even there. Wow. Uh, which means the attendance was way down. Everybody, <laughs> There's probably 20 people there. Wow. I mean, it, it, it was it was a snowstorm. I mean, it was horrible. I, the $70 didn't cover my gas, <laughs> let alone what I need to feed my family. Right. I got so aggravated. And this is the part that you used to me. You have to keep your heart right. I'm driving home. I'm mad. I'm aggravated. You know? What am I going to do? And 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 I had enough of the word of God in me. You know, I mean, I I didn't let dwell on it. I you know dealt with it and got on. And I knew God was going to meet my needs. And mm-hmm. and I'm confessing scripture and binding and loosening and doing everything I know to do. <laughs> and probably about four or five months later, he calls me back and says, "Will you come up and preach this meeting for me?" Mm. Really? And I almost had that twinge of no. And I felt prompted my heart by the Lord. I said, "Yeah, I'd be glad to." So I drove up there, no idea what to expect. I got to be honest, that meeting fed my family for probably five years. Wow. I scheduled more revivals, services. I mean, I I, 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 I probably went from in that, I probably had eight or 10 churches that I wow. could just call and say, I've got a you know week open or something, or I'm coming up. Oh, yeah, yeah, come. You know, and I think that's one of the other things in life. You just have to keep your heart right. Yeah. Even when you take like Joseph, even when you take a hit, mm-hmm. realize it's not the end of the world. And, um, you know, I, I think back on, I've not been accused of rape. <laughs> I got <laughs> yeah. a good life. <laughs> you know, I've not been not, sold into I, slavery yet. I've not been sold into <laughs> slavery. My good coat that was given to me is not lost. That would, I think that would have probably aggravated me more than being sold into slavery, losing my good coat. And, uh, anyway, so. Make sure to join me next Thursday right here on Faith for My Generation podcast as we continue this conversation with Pastor Chris. Thanks so much for joining me for this episode of the Faith for My Generation podcast. Remember, every Monday I've got a brand new wake-up call for you, and every Thursday I've got a brand new episode right here on Faith for My Generation podcast. And remember, we are the faithful.